Talking with or talking to? Which way do you communicate with your grands? I'm Emily Morgan, and in this episode of The Grand Life, we talk with an author who thinks our conversations with our grands can be better if we listen more than lecture. Even with the best of intentions, we sometimes talk more and listen less than we really ought to. So here's our chance to get better. Rebecca Rowland is a lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and serves on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. She's also an oral and written language specialist in the neurology department of Boston Children's Hospital. I've invited her on today's episode to talk with us about her just-released book entitled The Art of Talking with Children. Dr. Rowland, welcome to The Grand Life. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you know, your book title uses the preposition with and not to, the art of talking with children. So what led you to focus on how we talk with kids and on children generally? Yeah, so um, actually that was an interesting conversation I had with my publisher. I actually on purpose changed it from to children to with children. And the idea there was really that I wanted that back and forth, um, that sense that we're not just talking to them, we're hearing from them. And we're really changing our responses based on what we hear. So it's really meant to be that very dynamic back and forth. So that to me was very important. And, and what about your uh, focus on children in general? Yeah, so I've always loved language and just um, I'm a speech pathologist. So I focused on language professionally. Um, and I've loved children, sort of how they develop language has always been fascinating to me. But it really crystallized when I had my own two children and I got a chance to see them in action, just developing day mm-hmm. by day. Yeah. You know, you talk a lot about um, in your book, there's so many things, but let's just talk about rich talk. Can you give us a quick primer on what it is exactly rich talk and how we would know it when we saw it or heard it? So I created the idea of rich talk and the ABCs of rich talk, I call it, um, just to really have a mnemonic that's pretty simple to remember. And there's really three components. So the A stands for adaptive, just meaning that you're always paying attention to your child and moving alongside your child in terms of following what they say, responding to what they respond to, and then really having them listen to you. So it really goes both ways. Mm-hmm. The B is for back and forth. So that's really that with idea, the sense that you aren't just talking to them in a stream, um, but really hearing from them. And that's always informing each other. And the last part, the C is child-driven. And so that um, really is where I think the richest conversations happen. When We don't come in necessarily with an agenda or with a point we need to make, um, but really start with what's engaging the child or what's um, interesting or even worrisome to the child. Um, And I think conversations can be so much more meaningful and then even effective if you're trying to make a point, if you start with that child-driven perspective. 
Yeah, that's it's interesting. And we might talk about this a little later, but, you know, you never use the term helicopter parent, but you talk a lot about that concept. So we'll, we'll get back to that. But, um, you know, some of us see our grandchildren on a regular basis, and many of us do not, but we have contact with them through FaceTime or Zoom or some other technology. So why are conversations with our grandkids so important in building their confidence? Also, what about their creativity? You've got confidence and creativity, so maybe you could address that. Yeah. So I think especially as children grow up, there's so many opportunities for them to build confidence because there's so many new things they're trying. So whatever age they are, you know, if they're two and they might be learning to put words together or if they're 13 and they're learning, you know, something about math, they're always learning something. Um, And it's so important how we frame that learning. So it can either be sort of a chance for failing you know, I didn't get this right, or, you know, I'm never going to do it, um, or a chance for skill building and for feeling strong in themselves. Um, It's not always one extreme or the other, of course, but really trying to figure out how can we in those small moments when a child is struggling with something or even challenging themselves, how can we say, okay, let's use this as a chance to build your skills or sort of empower you rather than, you know, say, oh, let's just you know, go with your breaking yourself down or that negative Mm -hmm. self-talk. So I think that's what's so important. And the chance for grandparents to be there in those moments, I think, is really important as well. I think the concept of growth mindset for me was pretty new And I realized when I was talking to my adult children who have children that Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, yeah, that's really that happens all the time in school. They always say that, you know, you don't understand that problem yet. Yeah, (laughs) which I think is so great and actually found it helpful for myself in terms of how I look at my own life, like in terms of failure and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, I haven't figured that out yet. Yet. (laughs) It's funny. I actually just used that example or I used that language yesterday. Actually, my five-year-old is learning to jump rope, but Mm -hmm. obviously not very well. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, he was jumping and falling and jumping backwards and it was like, I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to jump rope, you know? And I was like, but let's just say you haven't learned to jump rope yet. You know? And he was like, oh, okay. I haven't learned yet. Yeah. You know, like it, it actually did in the moment really have an impact on him, I think, which is surprising. But yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think I, kids like to hear that, that there's always room. Even absolutely. we need to hear that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that um, we were brought up with the idea that failure was like an option. It was like mm-hmm. failure is not an option. So, right. you know, <laughs> you know, in your book, you talk about great conversations as being like a double promise. So what did you mean by that? Yeah, so I really think about um, great conversations as having two components so sort of the two promises. And the first is just about in the moment. So it really enhances our relationships right then and there. You know, so you might be having more fun or you might be being creative together. So actually the sense of you're going back and forth, building on each other's ideas. Um, Or even if you're having a hard conversation, you know, you might come away with more empathy for the other person or more understanding. Um, So that's kind of the first promise. And then the second one is really more long term. So there's so much research out there showing how important conversation is to building all of these skills that we want for kids. So confidence, creativity, kindness. Um, So even though it might not appear that way in the moment, sort of as you do this on a daily basis over and over kids are getting to build those skills as well. So I think 
that's what to me is so powerful and so interesting about conversation is that it can kind of work on both those levels. Yeah. You know, you really made a believer out of me through all of the the different research that you quoted and also just all the great ideas of how to do this so that our conversations are really good with our children and our grandchildren. Um, you mentioned that we often have false assumptions about our talk with kids. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So I think obviously so many of us uh, have read a lot of parenting books or grandparenting books yeah. and, you know, there's a ton out there. And I think there's so many well-intentioned people that I see all the time. And at the same time, I think there is a lot out there that's kind of maybe not false information, but just information that's giving the wrong message. So for example, um, things like talk as much as possible <laughs> or <laughs> use as many hard words as you possibly can. And that will you know, help your child's vocabulary. So I see people, you know, who just sort of talk at their young kids, especially in sort of a long stream. And this really, really, you know, talking about Abraham Lincoln or whatever, just on and on. And, and you think like that is so well-intentioned and that will build their vocabulary at some level, Yeah. but really it's not doing as much as it could. If you actually take a step back and really allow them to have a role in the conversation too. Um, so that's probably the main one is just this sort of over talking that I think people do um, with the best of intentions, but not necessarily making room or having openings for kids to respond back. It seems to me that grandparents have a leg up on this kind of conversation with children. Those teaching agendas we had with our own children are long past, and we're able to just sit in the quiet and stillness of the relationship with our grands. We don't need to hover over them, either at home or at the playground. Our perspective is long range, and we can just smile or give a hug and not feel the need to constantly talk or expect that back from our grands, the way maybe a young parent might. That's the pressure feeling that I think actually does almost go against that development that children are doing with their language. Um, we need to allow them downtime, both in real life, I think, with the helicopter idea, but then also in our conversations. Yeah. Um, there's just really interesting research, for example, suggesting if you pause more, kids actually will come up with much longer and more interesting things to say if you actually just wait. <laughs> wow. So, well, wow, yeah. that's interesting. Um, and I do think kids can kind of sense when you're trying to teach them or you're, they, I think that's a real turnoff to children. For sure. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and actually what I think is so funny is you can talk about really big or interesting concepts without necessarily using really hard words. What would you say to grandparents who are getting started with this approach? Like who want to have more purposeful conversations with their grandkids? Yeah. So I would say a couple of things is first just um, to take it slow, just to, in small steps. Um, so I think not necessarily to feel like this has to happen all of the time, you know, but right, really to say, what about taking five minutes or 10 minutes or something like that and saying, let's see if I can have this kind of conversation. So I'm going to actually just give it a shot. Um, one time, start with what your child or your grandchild is interested in um, and really try to have that back and forth. Uh, just follow the train of the conversation um, and be fully there as much as possible. And this can be on Zoom or FaceTime or in person. It's not as though, you know, the technology you know, makes it <laughs> invalid or exactly. something like that. Um, but I would say to just not feel so much pressure that you have to be fully prepared and you have to get it right, but just try in small moments to see if you can give it a shot. One thing I really appreciated about your book was that you 
you did kind of not put a lot of pressure on the reader. It's like, well, you do it the best you can. And, and we all we all mess up and we all fail. And we also don't always have to do it. So it wasn't the sense that I didn't feel when I read it. Oh, oh there's so much pressure. And I, I liked that. Yeah. And I was hoping to get that sense across. And I used myself as an example in part to do that because I feel like I had some times and I thought it worked well. And then sometimes and I thought, oh, I probably shouldn't have said it that way or, oh, that didn't, <laughs> you know, come, come off as much as I had wanted it to. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that that was definitely a conscious choice to, you know, put myself in, in the reader's shoes as well. Yeah. You know, your book takes a kind of hybrid approach as it is, as a combo of memoir and a guidebook. So tell me about a time in your own household when you realized the need to shift your approach or change your conversation. So actually, this is something I can talk about recently is um, I have a five-year-old now who was really wanted to learn to play chess um, because his older sister was learning to play chess, but obviously chess for a five-year-old is really pretty challenging. And so I said, well, (laughs) you know, we can give it a shot, but I'm not really sure how this is going to go. And so I first just started and we kind of played it wrong, like just like checkers, you know, just having all the pieces jump over each other, you know, and he said, well, I don't really don't want to learn that. I want to learn how to play chess. Like I actually want to understand how it works, you know? And I said, oh, okay. And, you know, and he started to learn and he did okay, but he obviously um, made a lot of mistakes. There was this tension for me. It was just like, should I let him win? Should I always win? Because he doesn't want to see, you know, he doesn't want me to let him win, etc. Um, and he kind of became upset with both options. So he was sort of like, I don't want to lose, but I don't want you to let me win, you know. And what I actually decided kind of came about by accident, which was that I did make a mistake by accident. And I said, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, well, um, can you find it? Oh. And And he said, Oh, let me look, you know, and after a while and a little bit of help, he found the mistake. And he said, can you make another mistake? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, I guess so. I can make another mistake. Uh, And so it was kind of funny because he ended up winning, obviously, because I made so many mistakes. Um, But he actually was able to learn a lot because he was analyzing all my mistakes. And I was kind of helping him say, like, well, where do you think it could be? And um, and so now, actually, he comes to me and says, like, will you play mistakes? He actually calls it <laughs> play mistakes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's that was so, so empowering. Cute. Yeah. And actually, for him now, he was a little nervous about mistake making. And I think he's gotten a lot better just because it's kind of funny and I'm doing it all the time. So it becomes a lot less pressure, I think, on him, too. Yeah. Yeah. You're modeling that. Exactly. I'm just so like, well, awesome. oh, I'm sorry. I guess I'll, I have to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, most of us as grandparents love to read to our grandchildren. That's one of our favorite things to do. So could you talk a little bit about letting children interrupt when reading? Because I know for some of us, we we read it and we're like, whoa, no, no, no. I, I just have to get to the next page or wait until you get to the next page. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So there's actually um, something called dialogic reading, which is the idea of having a back and forth about a book. So it is really like using a book as a jump start for a conversation and not to feel like you have to read all the words on the page and move to the next page. And what's really interesting is that even though it looks maybe kind of messy or kind of chaotic, kids are actually learning more and they're actually connecting Mm. more with the book when they're able to stop and say, oh, why did that 
monkey go up that tree? Or what do you think is going to happen next? Um, Mm -hmm. So even though there's the urge, and I felt that same urge myself to just, you know, say, oh, we're on page 20, let's get to page 25. um, What can actually be really helpful, um, depending on your relationship with your child or your grandchild can be to really stop and say, well, what do you think is going to happen? And ask these kind of questions and allow for the grandchild to interrupt. Um, And it can be sort of a lot more fun as well, because you're getting the chance to see how they're interpreting the story too. Yeah. Yeah. I know that for me, um, as a grandparent, I've read Go Dog Go so many times that I kind of want to know what they think's going up <laughs> exactly. there on the top of the tree. <laughs> that one's on my kitchen table right now, actually. <laughs> a dog party at the top of the, the dog tree. party, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, you know, I'm curious if you think grandparents have a special opportunity in their talk with kids. Like, if so, why? Specifically grandparents. Yeah, I do. And I think for a couple of reasons. Um, I think now a especially just because of the pandemic. Uh, I know a lot of grandparents who are taking over more um, caretaking roles, especially as the adult children are working or have other responsibilities. Um, There is just this more time um, and more relaxed time, perhaps. Um, I also do think that sometimes grandparents aren't doing sort of the everyday driving to school, driving, you know, drop off activities. And so a lot of that logistical talk, which just has to happen, they don't necessarily need to be a part of. So they kind of, I think, have this opportunity for more relaxed time or more, you know, those longer walks or those chances, you know, to sit over a meal or something like that and to have some of these conversations. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, you know, it's interesting. I've interviewed a few grandparents who have said, please don't just ask your grandchild how was school today? Like, how many times <laughs> can you ask that when you pick yeah, them up? Yeah, I know, you pick I know. <laughs> it's, it's hard because I think it is almost a, a you know, knee-jerk reaction it's, to say someone gets home and says, oh, how was school? Oh, fine. Uh, yeah, exactly. for sure. But uh, They don't really yeah, want actually, to ask. They don't want to yeah, answer I that. <laughs> no, I don't know. They sometimes will, but I try really hard not to do that. I'll say something like... It's, it's actually funny because I, I still do it once in a while because it's, yeah, it is just something yeah. a reflex. I mean, um, that's what we do with our spouses. How was work today? Exactly. You know? How was work? It was fine. <laughs> Some of us are better than others when we talk to our grandkids, obviously, but many of us might have come from a background where communications skills, like general communication skills, were lacking. And your book addresses how conversations aren't always easy or don't always go the way that our kids want And can you talk a little bit more about how you repair when things go wrong? Um, I mean, you did talk about the chess thing and how that kind of was a reparation, but, or how you manage to overcome roadblocks when kids just shut down or they feel shut down by what you've said. Yeah. So I do think that's so important. And especially with this idea of putting less pressure on yourself, that really not thinking that apologies or a problem means that it's going wrong. So I'd actually argue that being able to give apologies, both from kids and also from grandparents, means that something is going right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it really does mean that you're able to model that sense of, well, I don't always say what I should have said or what I wanted to say, or maybe you misinterpreted it, or maybe I, you know, (laughs) spoke poorly of what I meant or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that being able to say, I'm sorry, or let's try it again, um, or even say, can we have a redo, (laughs) you know, kind of in a, a lighthearted way, I think can be a really important thing to model for kids Yeah, because they often hear grownups who don't 
you know, say that they ever have anything wrong with them or ever, you know, admit to some kind of problem. So I think hearing that can be so important. Man, I agree with you 100%. I think it's really important for them to see that. And, you know, we can't be perfectionists. You know, we can't think it's always got to be right and, you know, whatever. We can we can make mistakes too. Lots of us have grandkids who span from newborn all the way up to teenagers. So when can that kind of communication you're talking about start? And is it mostly for younger kids or are we talking about all the way, does it span all the way up until adulthood? What I really emphasize in the book is this idea that rich talk can start even from infancy. So you might think that, well, babies obviously can't speak. And that's true, of course, um, but they're always communicating. So whether it's a cry, whether it's, you know, yawning, whether it's a hint of a smile, you know, there is something coming from the infant. So this idea of just this responsive back and forth, even if the baby isn't, you know, telling you what they want, I think really does start from infancy. And many people have asked me, well, who is the book for? So is it for preschoolers or elementary schoolers? And I really do think it goes from infancy all the way up through young adults um, because the principles are the same. So even though the Mm -hmm. way you talk, the words you use are not going to be the same, obviously, and the topics will not be the same. I think those principles of being adaptive and having that back and forth um, are so similar. So that's why I really want it to apply to all the ages. Yeah, it's it's all about intentionality, I think, in terms of exactly. thinking about what you're doing and not just stuff coming out of your mouth, you know, exactly. <laughs> just actually thinking about what you're saying. Um, so if grandparents have questions for you about their particular challenges, how could they reach out to you? They can go to my website. So I'm happy to answer questions and I have a weekly newsletter, so I'm actually taking questions from parents. I'm trying to start a a practice there online of really um, integrating that into the newsletter as well. Mm -hmm. So they can find that on my website, which is just RebeccaRoland.com. If they're on Twitter, they can find me there at Roland underscore RG as well. So I'm happy to take questions. Great. We will put that on our show notes. So if anybody is looking for that, we will make sure that's on on our show notes. And I'm sure there will be people with some questions. Before we leave, I have started asking my guests to share with us their favorite children's books and for younger ones and middle, all the way middle school children. And I wondered what children's books you would recommend. I'm, I'm sure you have a ton of them, but do you have a few? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Actually, I was thinking about it um, that, since you asked. And I have a few that I'd like to recommend. So I, I have some by different ages, uh-huh. which I think might be helpful just for if you have different age kids. Yeah. Um, the first one's really famous, so maybe a lot of grandparents know this. Um, the book with no pictures by B.J. Novak. Yeah, if you if you've probably seen that. Yes. But I love that because it is so interactive, um, and it kind of really does create that um, sense of humor between the reader and the listener. So I think that if you don't know that book, I would highly recommend that uh-huh. uh, for young kids, but even you could go up. Oh, man, well. They laugh so hard. I used to be a, yeah, a exactly. librarian, uh, you know, work in a library at a school and uh, they just thought that was so funny. Oh yeah. No, I love that one. So, um, so that's what I would recommend there. Um, I would also, I love the book, which is a classic. We're going on a bear hunt mm-hmm. as well. The Michael Rosen book. Um, because it does have so much repetition and kids get so into it. And even if they're sort of early readers, they can really, um, you know, get the hang of it and read it to you, which I love because mm-hmm. um, it can really reverse the roles, which I think is so fun for kids. And then for older kids, I was recently reading a book with my daughter who's 10, um, which is called Ways to Make Sunshine. 
by Renee Watson. Ooh. I don't know if anyone knows that, but it's really, it's a great book. It's a story of a young black girl named Ryan, um, who's really trying, always sees the best in people. And so it's about her identity and seeing pride in her heritage, but also seeing pride in other people's heritages as well. So I really like um, what she does there and just, and there's great um, imagery and it's very funny. So I'd recommend that as well. Dr. Roland, thank you so much for spending time with us today and helping us understand the role we play in shaping our grandchildren. While most of us are not uh, primary caregivers, we can be a special influence on our grands by the way we model conversations and by the way we talk with the special grandchildren in our lives. Thanks so much. Thank you. It was wonderful to be on the show. Here we are, just one episode away from a short break. During that break, I'm asking you to call or write in your questions so we can get a sense of how we might connect a little better. You can call and leave a voicemail at 317-572-7876, or you can write to me at grandlifeconnection at gmail.com. I'm really hoping to hear from you, so please don't wait. Time for me to begin the back and forth where we talk with each other instead of me just talking to you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. In the meantime, I'm Emily Morgan, and thanks for joining me in living the grand life. <music>